Hello and welcome to episode 10 of the European show. Um, today we're going to look back at um, this weekend's football as we usually do on a Monday and to join me in doing so is Nick as always. Hello, hello, I'm back. Welcome. How are you doing Jack? We'll first start in La Liga where there was a shock result as well as not really a shock result um, <laughs> with the current state of affairs at this club. So I'm just going to hand it over to Nick, really. To... I mean, which one would you like me to start off with? The, the exciting one or the or the really exciting one? Mm-hmm. You choose. All right, all right. Uh, I guess I'll start off with, with the, the... I guess I'll start off with the fixture that was played first, that being Atletico versus Barcelona. Uh, Atleti won 2-0. In a game in which you could you could see the difference in quality between the teams, the first half was uh, um, contrary to what, how I thought the game would go. The first half was actually really exciting. Uh, both both teams were actually attacking like reasonably well. Uh, Barcelona had more possession of the ball and they kind of struggled to open up Atleti, but when they did, uh, they, they had some pretty good breakthroughs. But not much came of it. In fact, they didn't manage to get a shot on target. Uh, in the first, in the entire first half, which is a bit of a common theme that the Barcelona is beginning to develop nowadays, but despite that, it didn't even play that badly. Until in the 23rd minute, um, Thomas Lemar scores after a really nice flowing counter attack, in which Joao Felix was pivotal and Suarez assisted, and then right before half time, Suarez scores against his old club. Uh, with again a really nice fluid counter attack in which Atletico's attackers found a lot of space in in midfield and Barcelona's backline was completely stranded. After that, the game kind of dragged on a little bit. Atleti kind of seemed to lose interest in attacking, and Barcelona just had the ball for m- pretty much the entirety of the rest of the 45 minutes. They weren't able to do much with it. Atleti kind of saw all their attacks and all their ideas coming. And it kind of just devolved into what nowadays we're kind of familiar with, the Barcelona cross it in and hope that someone heads it. And obviously nothing came of that. The, the clearest opportunity they had was one in which uh, Gavi actually plays a nice ball to, to Coutinho and he's one-on-one with, with Oblak. And then he completely scuffs his lines and send it, sends it pretty much right at the keeper. And other than that, Oblak didn't have much to do. So... Barcelona overall controlled the ball, but I wouldn't say they controlled the game. And Atleti just kind of dominated over them in terms of dictating the flow and dictating the rhythm of everything as well as saying, oh yeah, come attack me, or right, we'll, we'll just we'll see your pleasure disorganized time for a good counter-attack. And this kind of just piles on the theme of... In fairness... Um, Koeman can't really take the full blame for this match because he was actually suspended. So this was his uh, assistant manager who was in charge for this game and made some questionable decisions such as starting two very inexperienced players such as Gavi and Nico as well as Coutinho. I mean, Coutinho obviously not being the ex- an inexperienced one. Just, that's just something on top of that. And funny enough, these two inexperienced players were some of Barcelona's best midfielders. They did get pushed off the ball. They did kind of get closed down like fairly often. But they were just pretty creative and putting quite a lot of energy into their game. Whereas the other typical Barcelona 
uh, starters were kind of lethargic, didn't really move very quickly, just seemed turned off and just got basically bullied the whole game long. And so that that was that. Another another loss for Barcelona. They just I can't seem to break out of it. Go on. I think um obviously you mentioned Gavi. Um it has to be noted that he has been called up to the Spanish national team oh and my. senior national team after literally only a few really games in the starting or in the squad really. So either that just shows either how good he is in the eyes of Luis Enrique or he's just being overhyped because he's been shoved into a pretty terrible Barcelona team which is quite easy to shine in. Oh, this this is actually a pretty good talking point. Uh, Spain's national team has been a big, big point of controversy. First of all, the Gavi call-up was extremely questionable. He is a decent player. I, I, I'd say that out of the... Out of the um, youth players that have been forced to play uh, for the first team because of the rest of the team sucks he's been one of the better ones that we've seen I wouldn't really say he's national team quality and I definitely would never say he's better than some of the other options that have been left out for example Canales was left out he's going to Asensio war as well but they're kind of on the same level as Gavi right now a little bit better a little bit more experienced obviously but um, Miguel Merino actually I think he made it but Parejo has also been left out Saul is in bad form, so it makes sense. Just there's like three or four Spanish midfielders. Um, what what's his name as well? Um, God. Ibrahim Diaz. Ibrahim Diaz has been playing really quite well for AC Milan. He also got left out. There's actually like three or four players who would like comfortably, comfortably get in into the Spanish national team over Gavi. Then on top of that, Eric Garcia was called up again. I think everyone knows my opinion of him. I don't think he should be in the Spanish national team. I don't think he should be in any team. Then, uh, and then uh, that, that was the first call-up, but then a, a bunch of players got injured, which resulted in Sergio Roberto getting the, called up. The, th- the thing about <laughs> Sergio Roberto, one, the fact, I don't know how he's made it in, but the second <laughs> thing is he's been given the number 10. <laughs> and Gabby was given number 9. Yeah, which... I understand it's probably because the players that got injured, they were the numbers that they were going to take. But at least you can move them around and give people numbers that suit their positions and stuff. It's it's the thing that grates me so much, especially the fact that Sergio Roberto is such a shit player. <laughs> I I cannot understand what the li- for the life of me what Sergio Roberto has done to regularly play for Barcelona. And then on top of that, get called up to the Spanish national team. Also, about the shirt numbers, why would you not give Oyar Sawal the number nine or something like that? One of these players who features often, right now has kind of a weird number. I think Oyar Sawal has like 22 or something like that. It would make perfect sense. I don't understand it. I, I, I'm, I'm going to be honest. I think this just shows some clear favoritism from Luis Enrique. Like, come on. He, he just. I, I think we can both agree that Sergio Roberto's career... He's living off that late goal he scored against PSG. Without a shadow of a doubt, he has been utterly terrible for the past three seasons, maybe. It makes no sense how he's still like playing for top clubs, and he's still there. And, uh, and I was going to say earlier, at this point, I'm pretty sure that Luis Enrique is just going down the Barcelona squad list, checks if the player has Spanish nationality, and just calls them up. Calls them up. It doesn't matter. 
Because, like, come on. How are you telling me Sergio Roberto is a better football player than Brahim Diaz, than, than Sergio Canales? Then, then, bro, I'm a better football player than, than Sergio Roberto. Call me up for the Spanish national team, man. Unreal. I'm going to go buy a Barcelona shirt and you're going to see just, I'm going to get the call up right away. No worries about it. Then speaking about uh, Luis Enrique, his least favorite team uh, lost on the weekend. Quite surprisingly, in a shock result against Espanyol. I did kind of make fun of this fixture, saying that Espanyol is basically Real Madrid's academy and they always basically bend over for... Wait, I can't say that. Uh, I did make fun of this fixture, saying that Espanyol is basically Real Madrid's academy and they um, never put up much of a fight against Real Madrid and that has proven completely wrong uh, mere days after speaking those words. Espanyol played a, a, a really, really good game in which with a in which their players showed a lot of intensity and a lot of pressure and had Real Madrid against the ropes for most of the match unlike the game against Sheriff in which Real Madrid was clearly dominant and obviously just got unlucky with, with counter-attack goals from Sheriff and the Sheriff goalkeeper basically going bonkers and saving everything in this game Espanyol actually uh, contested possession and contested control and dominion of the game quite well and I mean, especially in the first half, in the first 60 minutes in which their two goals came, first from Raul Tomas, who funnily enough used to play for Real Madrid, and Alex Vidal, who funnily enough used to play for Barcelona. Uh, this is where Espanyol really controlled the game. Um, Camavinga was, was injured, but while he was fit, he wasn't really capable of, of staunching the flow of, of Espanyol's midfield football. Uh, Fede Valverde was also disappointing I'm usually a very big fan of this player and I did not see him on top of his game today but uh, slowly after making some subs and kind of well especially bringing Casemiro who's the big midfield controller uh, Real Madrid kind of got back into the game Benzema scored obviously a goal to kind of give Real Madrid some hope and it looked like they equalised after a beautiful Eden Hazard goal but it was ruled out quite right as well. I don't think anyone would contest that. But it it's a shame that when Hazard finally scores, and not just any goal, but a beautiful, like, worldy, basically, it just happens to, to not count. But uh, but with that, uh, we have the interesting fact that now there's three teams tied top with 17 points. Real Madrid, Atletico, and Real Sociedad, who could have gone top if they hadn't drawn 1-1 with, with Getafe who had their manager sacked recently, funnily enough. Kind of dumb from Real Sociedad, if I'm being honest, because as I said, they could have gone top if they won. And before this, Getafe literally had zero points. So they were the absolute easiest team in the league to beat. And they didn't manage to take it. So now these three teams are top of the league with three, with 17 points. However, it is worth noting, Sevilla is on 14 points and they have a game in hand against Barcelona. So they're almost certainly going to win it. And uh, and we'll have to see how the how the coming weeks how the how the coming weeks pan out because right now we have a, a very interesting race up on in our hands. It's it's we have to I'll just bring it back to Barcelona quickly. Um, I think it, it's it's interesting to note that um, Laporte Laporta um, said. After, funny enough, after we recorded the previous episode, that he trusts Ronald Koeman and he will be remaining in charge despite any upcoming results. 
albeit that may change when the El Clasico comes <laughs> out and they and they inevitably lose it. Um, but it's just interesting. Why are Barcelona <laughs> stalling so long to try and get just a different manager in? Because it doesn't matter if they're in for six months. You wait just to get someone in to try and change the squad around so then you can bring Xavi in eventually. Or, or, or what? It's just, yeah, it's just a bit of a, a shit show, really. I mean, I think that there's three, three possibilities. First, Laporta is just an idiot and he can't see, and he generally means what he says and he actually trusts Kuman. That would be incredibly stupid because anyone who has eyes and turns on a TV can see that Barcelona is playing absolutely terribly. Uh, but that's obviously what's more likely is either that Barcelona don't have the money to sack Kuman because I think they have to pay 12 or 13 million or something to to break his contract to which clearly they, they don't have the money to do that which would be a bit sad and also which is debatably also even more sad is that nobody wants to take charge of them there's been some names floating around uh, like Conte and Pirlo and stuff like that and uh, I'm not surprised to hear that someone like Conte wouldn't be interested in taking charge of such a dead team. But um, I mean, I, th- th- this is the option that I also find quite unrealistic, that no one wants to take charge of Barcelona. Like Pirlo, why would he say no? Like realistically, he's out of a job. He doesn't have much of a reputation. So no other big club in brackets would, or sorry, in, in air quote commas, would be interested in taking him so I'm sure he would he would love to say yes. Xavi would probably want to to wait a bit, and probably wouldn't want to join. Xavi's always waiting. Yeah, he's Xavi's... literally waiting until it's no longer shit, and then <laughs> he'll come in, and then he'll probably end up take Barcelona to where they want to be. I say that he'd probably end up like Pirlo, but you know. Yeah, I mean, at least he's had some managing experience. But yeah, I mean, in, I, I completely understand if Xavi wouldn't want to take charge of Barcelona right now. Imagine trying to play tiki taka with like Busquets, Frankie de Jong and Sergio Roberto in your midfield I think you'd have more fun playing just sticking your hand in a blender I'm not gonna lie but um, but yeah I, I, th- I think those are the main three things that the main three possibilities for why Kuman has not been sacked yet because let's be honest he should have been sacked last summer like th- th- there's no reason why not Barcelona are just terrible. They, they didn't do bad last season because they had Messi, and that's that's the one and only thing. I, ju- I just think it's it's funny looking at the names floating around, as you said, Antonio Conte and Andrea Pirlo. Andrea Pirlo failed at Juventus. He, he even failed the bare minimum for them, which is <laughs> winning the league, which which people struggle to do. Um, and, and he had and he had one of the two best players in the world at the time. Exactly, he had Ronaldo on on his team and still managed to screw it up. And so it'd just be funny to see him thrown into another situation <laughs> like this. This probably even worse of a situation this time. And then the other one is Antonio Conte, one of the most temperamental managers around. A man that will literally throw his toys out of the pl- pram. Um, if he doesn't agree with one thing and the funny thing is at Barcelona it will probably happen within a week (laughs) Um, so now we're going to have a break and then we'll be back with Liga and the Serie A
and welcome back from our break. We're now going to look at Liga, um, where we saw PSG drop their first points of the season as they drew, as they lost actually, 2 0 to Rennes um, with goals from Gaetan Laborde and Flavian Tate um, to win the game for Rennes. Um, Obviously, once again, PSG started with Messi, Mbappe, Mbappe, Neymar and um, Di Maria. And people have said that they looked alright. However, they still ended up losing the game. And I think you can't really... um, Especially with a front four like that, you can't really say, oh yeah, they were good. It doesn't really matter when you have a team like that. You you should be winning, even if you're playing terribly. But I do think we're seeing a bit of a, a common occurrence now with the fact that every time they've started with Messi, Mbappe and Neymar, apart from obviously against Manchester City, um, they have struggled and they haven't looked... They haven't dominated games as they should have been. It's what I find the most interesting is that when you compare it to the other great tridents of football, the the other great three three man attacking powers of football, for example, the BBC, MSN, and such, many countless others, but it's obviously the greatest of, of the last decade. Uh, they don't have they have fuck all chemistry. They, they don't work together. Like you would see, Suarez, Neymar, and and Messi just like the ball between each other triangulating dizzying the defenses they always knew where the other was going to be how the other was running these three are they're just complete individuals they don't think about the others uh, I saw someone commenting about how uh, Messi and uh, Mbappe play as if they've just recently had domestic and I, I kind of see where that's coming from but uh, obviously Neymar is, isn't really cooperating with, with either of the two either and it, it's it, they just look stiff in relation to each other and they just don't don't connect and that might be a, a thing that takes time to develop or it might just be that the, the three players uh, don't get along well outside of the pitch and uh, and that's obviously a deeper problem could be caused by I mean Mbappe recently announced that he had like requested PSG to leave and he might be bitter about that but obviously this is just speculation or whatever about whether that's that's why they're not playing as well but it could be stuff like that that they that they're beginning to have uh problems outside of the pitch or or obviously once again it might just be that Messi has just arrived and they're not they don't really know how to play alongside him however also since since even before he arrived Neymar and Mbappe didn't exactly have it's not that they played badly together it's just that they didn't have the the incredible chemistry and teamwork that you'd expect from from a pair of star players and a, a pair a, a strike pair that plays so much together. So I think that's that's a lot of what goes into it. I think I think Mbappe is the issue, and because obviously Messi and Neymar have played together before at Barcelona, um, mm-hmm. and obviously they they obviously get along. As they they were friends off the pitch as well, and Messi was a bit of a, a mentor in a way to Neymar then, um, until Neymar threw his boots, um, threw his toys at the pram and decided he wanted to um, 
win the Ballon d'Or, which he has not done yet. <laughs> um, and obviously, as you said, Mbappe said he wanted to leave in the summer. And I think the fact that Mbappe is not happy at PSG and he wants to leave is a big, big factor in why they're all struggling to gel. As obviously Mbappe just doesn't frankly want to be there. Whereas, obviously, Messi and Neymar played together before. Messi and Di Maria are obviously teammates on an international level as well. And I think it's also being uh, where the players play in their positions. So, obviously, um, Neymar's on the left, Mbappe is up top, and Messi is in the middle with Di Maria on the right. I think there has to be some manoeuvring. Um, should I say between the three and because obviously Mbappe last year when he had his great year under um, Tuchel and Pochettino played on the left um, whereas now he's playing down the middle and I think uh, and Neymar has been able to play in the middle and so I think for it to work um, if they do 4-2-3-1 you have to have you probably have to play a Cardi, mm-hmm. as much as no one wants to. <laughs> um, uh, he's put some pro- decent performances when he's you, come off the bench. You have to play a Cardi, so that means you can go Mbappe on the left, Messi on the right, where obviously he made his name playing on the right wing, um, and then Neymar through the middle. Um, I, and then obviously you play with a Cardi up top. I think that is what has to be done in a way to try and get the players to gel playing positions they're a lot more comfortable um, to play in because obviously right now it hasn't apart from in that game against PSG against Manchester City it hasn't really worked as well as it could have done um, so far um, some other notable games in Liga Lille beat Marseille 2-0 with two goals from our favourite Jonathan David um, um, yeah. Jonathan David watch it has been two days since Jonathan David last scored and mm-hmm. in a derby in France Saint-Étienne beat Lyon or drew 1-1 with Lyon um, in Syria um, Juventus won the Turin derby 1-0 um, however they were terrible once again <laughs> um, so it on the positive for them they're starting to win games However, they're still not doing it convincingly. Obviously, they we can't forget they were able they beat Chelsea in midweek, um, but obviously they should really be um, beating a team like Torino a lot more convincingly because um, they they, they they struggled at parts in in time at parts as well. I think the main thing here is uh, Juventus's defense is back on track. Uh, Presumably because it's an area of the pitch that Ronaldo didn't have much effect in. So his departure didn't shake them that much, but they were pretty bad at the start of the season. But uh, back to back to what I was saying, Juventus' defense has kind of come back online after a few weeks of, of not quite being there. They're just solid again. De Ligt and then either Chiellini or Benucci have all been playing like ridiculously good matches over the last two weeks, especially against... They had a masterclass against Chelsea, obviously, but they once again showed against Torino that they don't really let anyone pass. However, f- further up from there, 
it's basically just Locatelli and Chiesa and then no one else really has any idea what they're doing. It's it's basically just them two trying to move the ball up the pitch and then everyone else is just disorganized, not really making runs. Whenever they get the ball, they're lost, they're slow, they miss every pass they take. So it, I think that's the main uh, thing that's causing Juventus so much strife is that they don't really create anything. They just, they just cannot create because they're incapacitated by it because half or maybe even up to two-thirds of their players that are in charge of creating danger just don't work. They, they, they just do not function. And obviously, um, now that they have, we are without Ronaldo, they're a bit more of a cohesive unit, which may um, be actually one of the reasons why they struggled early on in the season, as they were not a team. They were still... F- kind of focused on a on an individual and they were still waiting to try and rely on each other rather than one individual um, the most exciting game in, in Syria this weekend was between Atalanta and Milan uh, Milan won 3-2 and they were up 3-0 until the 86th minute when defense Zapata scored in the 86th minute uh, penalty to to give Atalanta some sort of a lifeline and then Mario Pasalic scored in the 94th minute however it was too late for Atalanta to try and rescue a point and finally Napoli continue their great start to the season beating Fiorentina 2-1 so now we're going to have our break and then we'll be back with the Bundesliga and some other stuff what, what do you think should be better? The picture, bro. Just, <laughs> just the picture, not any of the stats. Let's have a look at the picture. Pick ain't it. You are an ugly, like, you ain't great, are you? Yeah, you're not. No, but come on, you ain't great. You know what I mean? I think that's all right, the picture. I think they've, you know what I mean? They've bumped you up. That's how I look like. I think, yeah, I think that's better than how you look in real life. <laughs> Hello, and welcome back from our goal song break where you didn't have a goal song but there was an audio clip and that audio clip was um, from Brissy Dortmund's um, FIFA 22 video where they were comparing ratings of the players and you just heard Jude Bellingham called Daniel Merlin ugly I mean, <laughs> which is a video fairness, that lives rent free in my head practically in, in all fairness Daniel Merlin is not particularly good looking so uh, it's, I find it hard to disagree with with Jude. Now, if we're going to rate them, I would give this a ten out of ten straight away. I just think it's a quality, quality audio clip. I mean, it's not a goal song, so I'm going to have to give it a zero out of ten, unfortunately. But it was pretty funny. I rate it. And so now mm-hmm. on to the Bundesliga, where we there's been a common theme this weekend. Um, obviously Barcelona lost, Real Madrid lost, PSG lost, and Bayern Munich also lost. Um, 2-1 to Eintracht Frankfurt. Um, Bayern Munich did take the lead um, through Leon Goretzka. However, goals from Marvin Hinteregger, Hinteregger and Philip Kostic um, won the game for Eintracht Frankfurt. But I, I wouldn't... Obviously, the goals win you the games in football. However, I think... Kevin Trapp um, won won Frankfurt the game. Um, he put in a great performance. Uh, obviously, a bit of like a, a revenge or a bit of a call to Hansi Flick saying, oh, look at me, 
you left me out of the Germany squad, this is what I can do. And instead of me, you've got Bert Leno and Marc-Andre Testagen. Um He's definitely pulling a performance there to show that he probably deserves to be in the Germany squad. However, you can't really judge, as, as Kevin Trapp himself said, you can't really say he deserves to be in the team after one performance. But there's definitely something... He's definitely heading in the right right direction with if he continues to perform like that. As as it's probably at the moment the number two position in Germany is wide open um, and up for grabs for anyone. As Bert Leno isn't playing, and Stegen is not very good yeah, right now. And Andre Stegen is playing in a terrible um, Barcelona team. I mean, he he himself has been off his game. Like, against Atleti, please, just someone watch these goals. He's been nicknamed Tristatue, and I kind of understand it. In that Suarez goal, he just kind of... Suarez comes. Well before Suarez even prepares to shoot, Tristegen just spreads himself out and just kind of kneels down. And he just stands there, literally like a statue, for like two seconds. And then obviously Suarez just looks at him and goes like, my guy, what are you doing? And slots it past him without any struggle. So I would say that he is quite, not not in Germany quality at the moment. Obviously, in my humble opinion, Mark Hayden, Andre Tostegen's career peaked when he was at Bruce Mitchell Club. <laughs> of course you'd say that. Yeah, forget the fact that he won uh, the Champions League or, or the Confederations Cup. Um, however... What's interesting is Bayer Leverkusen have, con- have continued their great start under Gerardo Sione and beat, albeit Armenia beat the field 4 0. Um, that allowed them to go joint top with Bayern Munich. And they have a lot of their players are in great form. Um, Patrick Schick and Musi- Patrick Schick has obviously carried on where he left off at the Euros. Um, Musa Diaby is having a great start to the season but most importantly is Florian Verts um, is having a great season as well only Erling Haaland has more goals and, and assists than Florian Verts and Haaland has actually played 130 more minutes so obviously this stat will possibly change depending how long Erling Haaland is out for and obviously depending whether Florian Verts can pick up where he left off after the international break but I do think that just kind of shows that, um, how this type of start that um, Verts has, has had. Um, and what's interesting is after the international break by Leverkusen against Bayern Munich, obviously um, in the first meeting this time last year, by Leverkusen were top of the league. And obviously this game kind of turned it round for them as the season went downhill and um, Peter Bosch obviously got sacked later on in the season and obviously as we know Bayern went on to, to win the league so it'll be interesting to see how this pans out really as there's been a common theme with games that happened after the international break with them being very end-to-end and chaos really such as Bristol Dortmund versus Bayer Leverkusen as well as um Bayern Munich versus RB Leipzig so it would be interesting to see if this one will be pure chaos as well um, Brucey Dortmund beat Augsburg 2-1 um, they, as I said they were without Erling Haaland 
and they are still without a clean sheet. Um, RB Leipzig beat Bochum 3-0. Um, Christopher Nkunku, who is obviously carrying Leipzig in the Champions League, um, is had, is started scored again in this game and, and continues his great start to the season. Um, Borussia Mönchengladbach have actually finally put a run of results together, winning two games in a row. Uh, as they beat Wolfsburg 3-1. Um, Gladbach opened the scoring through Brio and Bolo and Jonas Hoffman um, before Luca Waldschmidt um, cut the deficit in half. Um, however, a Maxine Lacroix red card kind of opened the game up a bit more. Um, Jerome Rousselon actually originally got sent off but he had his red card prescinded and then later on uh, the American Joe Scally scored his first goal for Christian Mönchengladbach off an assist from Jan Sommer once again once again proving that he is the best keeper in the Bundesliga obviously that is that is a fact <laughs> and he just he proved also he's one of the best goalies in the world at, at the Euros obviously saving from Kylian Mbappe um, and his team let him down in the round after losing to Spain it was Switzerland's fault um, but most most notable thing was Stuttgart versus Hoffenheim um, finished 3-1 to Stuttgart this game is a bit of a derby um, obviously um, they're from the same state um, but what's most notable about this is I, I went to the stadium before the game kicked off and there was the Stuttgart Ultras and obviously everyone that follows the Bundesliga knows when you play Hoffenheim there is a specific chant um, regarding Dietmar Hopp, the Hoffenheim owner and it's that chant was sung again at this game and it's it's obviously shit has real at, at its finest. Obviously, it's not really a nice thing to say, but um, everyone kind of says it in in Germany against Dietmar Hopp because he's one of the most hated people around. <laughs> um, yeah, and so that's really it from the Bundesliga. Um, the last two things we're going to cover is Club Rouge drew one one with with Anderlecht. Not really able to say about those. Just it's a relatively big game in Belgium. And Ajax actually lost, um, surprisingly, against Utrecht. Um, and the deficit has, at the top of the table has actually been cut to two points, which is quite interesting. I mean, it's interesting because Utrecht isn't really a team with, with a big name in the Netherlands in recent years. Obviously, Ajax and PSV have mostly dominated the league with Feyenoord and Azad Alkmaar putting in some good results <coughs> as well. But this season, Utrecht has been ridiculously good they're currently sitting 13th what I don't know why I said 13th they're currently sitting third in the table uh, two points behind Ajax one point behind PSV uh, as it stands they would go into the qualifying rounds of the Europa League but if I'm being honest uh, I I don't think they'll be able to keep it up against against these stronger much more consistent teams but I would love to see some some diversity and how Utrecht develops uh, their football and their game throughout the rest of this season 
Yeah, and so that is it for today. Um, thank you for listening. Um, please like us, follow us, subscribe, whatever. And yeah, we will see you after the international break because there are the international break is now upon us. So we'll be back after that. And thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you for listening. And we'll see you in a few weeks. Thank you.